0: dot com slash Lincoln Odu Modern Management Made Simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, this month the Lincoln Project is going to be dedicating itself and our energy to making sure that Americans across the country know the good job that Joe Biden is doing on behalf of the American people and on behalf of the United States. I hope you'll tune into our work and share the content and materials we're putting out with your friends and neighbors. Guys, the next 14 months are as crucial a time as we've seen in our living memory. Go to lincolnproject.us or join the to get involved. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Heidi Prisbala an award-winning national investigative correspondent for Politico. She's a veteran Washington journalist who regularly breaks exclusive reporting on the White House, Congress, presidential and congressional elections, and most recently, the Supreme Court and the state of democracy here at home. Her reporting has spanned leading newspaper, digital, radio, and television outlets. Today, she's coming to us from Washington, D.C. Heidi, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Reid.
0: Okay, well, you have been in the middle of it this week, and I want to get to what's put you in the middle of it vis-a-vis your reporting on Leonard Leo, Jenny Thomas, the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas. But before we do that, give us a little bit of your insight on this sort of havesy impeachment deal that Kevin McCarthy says he wants to do but really isn't doing and says he has the votes for but doesn't really have the votes for. So tell us what's going on with McCarthy and the crazy caucus.
1: Yeah, it seems that he was going to do what you call a Havzi impeachment, which means, hey, I'm going to start this inquiry, but it's just an inquiry. We're just checking, just checking, you know, to see if there's anything wrong here, if he did anything corrupt. We don't have the receipts yet. And so we're just going to open this inquiry. And that was to try and appease the Freedom Caucus, because he's afraid that they're going to try to evict him, you know, put him in the eject seat, or that they're going to try and shut down the government. And unfortunately for him, it looks like this has not been the insurance policy that he was hoping it would be to prevent a government shutdown or to prevent him from a motion to vacate. Matt Gates said almost immediately after Speaker McCarthy said, I'm going to go forward with this impeachment inquiry, that he wanted to still take him out. So it was, I think, politically something that they thought they could do. If you looked at the tweets from Marjorie Taylor Greene, she said, ah, oh, before this happened, We needed to take this really slow, right? There's so much corruption here, guys, that this is going to take a long time. So please, please, please don't force us to vote.
0: Which is interesting considering that Marjorie Taylor Greene, before she became McCarthy's right-hand woman, his words, I believe,
1: was in as big a crazy lane as Gates or Gosar or any of them. And now she's considered one of the top three women who could be in contention to be a VP candidate. Under Trump. And that's because she's become the equivalent in the House of, you know, my Kevin and my Marjorie, kind of helping Kevin McCarthy. And she's become really kind of ostracized from a lot of folks in that tight knit Freedom Caucus circle because she has been willing to, you know, work with McCarthy on his agenda. So,
0: I mean, for McCarthy, remember, it took what, 15 ballots to get him to the speakership originally the likes of Matt Gaetz and these others held out until the very end. And now, again, you're right, here we are now, as we're recording this on the afternoon of Wednesday, the September 13th, we're about two weeks away from the end of the fiscal year for the federal government. We do this every year. We don't do standalone budget bills. All the things that we used to do as a matter of quote-unquote regular order that, of all people, Matt Gates was talking about yesterday and demanding that Kevin McCarthy do this. And You know, and if he didn't, he was going to do this motion to vacate, which again, I guess, puts the speakership back on the floor, a vote of, I guess, what others would call no confidence, maybe in other places, maybe more parliamentary systems. And so now, you know, McCarthy has made this deal with the devil. He's known the kinds of people he was dealing with. He basically got one over on him on the debt ceiling with Biden. And ultimately, Mitch McConnell and the U.S. Senate Republicans went along with it because they knew what a disaster would that be. But do you think that? McCarthy has the votes to sort of spread the peanut butter around on these different committees on impeachment and get a deal done by the end of the month.
1: Well, look, the Senate is not going to play with him on this. They're they're going to pass a clean deal and they're going to jam him. So whether it's just in the end a lot of tug and pull and having show votes on a lot of these issues to placate the Freedom Caucus, I don't think that he comes out of it unscathed. I don't see how he comes out of it unscathed. As a matter of fact, During the debt ceiling deal, a lot of my sources said, look, I've been on the inner circle here. And I think his plan is that he knows he will have been Speaker maybe for six months, maybe to a year, because there's no way to survive the crossfire in the position that he's in. He'll cut a deal to keep the government open and then fall on his sword. Now, they're surprised that he's lasted this long given that crossfire. And so I don't think he comes out of it unscathed. And I especially don't think he comes out of it unscathed. Because you already see the consternation and the response to MTG's statement, for instance, that oh, we've fed you this information all along. We've led you to believe that we do have the receipts, that we do have evidence that President Biden took money from his son's ill-gotten gains for his own personal enrichment, or that he took some kind of official policy action as a result of it when they don't have those receipts. A lot of the followers of the Freedom Caucus, they believe that the impeachment should take place right now. They believe that the evidence is ample. So the combination of those things, of him not being able to deliver on these demands, these unreasonable demands to avoid a shutdown, combined with the fact that he's not going to be able to deliver because that's going to take a lot of convincing for those 19 Republicans in Biden districts. Do you think they're just going to fall over on this? He's not going to come out of this unscathed.
0: You know, it's like a Don Bacon from Nebraska or a Brian Fitzpatrick from sort of suburban Philly, right? The quote unquote sort of problem solvers, right? And I saw something, Heidi, that said maybe this would be like their last swan song. Maybe they vote to keep the government open with Democrats because they're like, you know what? We're out, right? We're the last of the quote unquote normies. I don't give them that much credit, but let's just say in the context of the Republican House today, they're normal. And they'll be like, you know what? I did my best. I did as much of this as I could do. I'm not going to be the guy or gal who shuts down the government. As you said, they don't have the receipts on impeachment. I mean, you saw Nancy Mace on CNN the other night saying, we have to do the inquiry so we can find the evidence. And even on Fo- oh, it was not Fox News. It was another one of the right-wing outlets where James Comer, you know, the host why don't you just subpoena Hunter Thompson? Or, uh, Hunter Thompson. <laughs> Hunter Biden? <laughs> Sorry, he got Hunter Thompson on the brain. He couldn't make this up. And Comer just sat there sort of blank-faced. And so there's a lot of this stuff, which is a lot of sort of vaporware, right? They've been saying this, saying this, saying this. But now you've got to make the online the reality, the digital the real. You've got to go from the sort of intangible to jumping the air gap to the real world. And there's a lot of people like, I don't know about this. And for McCarthy, I've always thought, Heidi, you tell me, his real constituency is really corporate America and hyper-wealthy individuals, not the people of Bakersfield. And not really as conference. It's really the donor class.
1: Well, I'm afraid that if you talk to any House member in fairness, I think the American people would be shocked at how much time is spent literally in the brig of having to dial for dollars. It's part of what they have to do because of how our system exists right now, which I guess would segue into our discussion about Leonard Leo. But of course, look, the donors make the earth turn. Here in Washington. And he's definitely beholden to that class, as were a lot of the GOP who voted for the tax cuts that they told the American people and their constituents were for the forgotten man. But Reed, as you know, those tax cuts really just went back to corporate stock buybacks. And that is probably the biggest symbol of who the constituency is there.
0: dot com slash Lincoln Odu Modern Management Made Simple. So listen, campaign finance—you know—it really wasn't a thing, I guess, until Watergate, right? Um, when the you know suitcases of cash were showing up and they were pulling it out of the safe. Go back and watch all the President's Men; still a great movie. They tried campaign finance, right? And you know, between what the FEC was capable of, and now you get to Citizens United. Now, I didn't know this until I read your piece, Heidi. I didn't realize that the Supreme Court had asked for a rehearing on the case originally and that after the rehearing, they sort of gutted campaign finance altogether.
1: Justice Kennedy at the time said, I have grave concerns about what this will do to the legitimacy of the court, given this unorthodox process by which we were asked to decide on a narrow question about whether ads could take place attacking Hillary Clinton within 30 days of an election by a certain group. And what they did was they said, no, what we're going to do is we're going to reopen this. And we're going to talk about the free speech of corporations to allow corporations to, or individuals for that matter, rich individuals to spend unlimited amounts into the campaign finance system. So it's a little confusing in that that ruling didn't directly kind of speak about C3s and C4s, but they benefited from it because then you had these vehicles that wealthy individuals and corporations, which is mostly wealthy individuals, as we now look at the autopsy of this, could pour anonymously unlimited amounts of money into these groups, which were supposed to be doing charitable social welfare work, but it's been very, very distorted over the past decade into what that actually means in practice.
0: Right. And I think one of the people you quoted said this was really for like Kiwanis clubs, Lions clubs, right? PTA someplace. These are people who were actually doing work in their community, social welfare work on behalf of a constituency citizens. But now look, I mean, you know, the Lincoln Project has a 501c4 we're associated with, right? And it has different rules than say a super PAC does. But the truth is, Heidi, is that between the neutering the eunuch-like existence of the FEC and the IRS, you know, probably having too many moles to whack on any given day between the first job they're supposed to do, which is collecting taxes, that, you know, you can really almost get away with anything, you know, if you have a certain word like this, if you have a certain word like that. And now you, you bring in somebody like a, a Leonard Leo who goes back, I believe, to 1982 to the founding of this Federalist Society, right, which was a conservative group of attorneys who really have shaped the judiciary. And remember that for so many years, it was conservatives decrying the unelected bureaucrats and not only unelected bureaucrats, obviously, but unelected judges legislating from the bench. But that's now really what Leonard Leo and his folks have managed to get the federal
1: judiciary to do. He's conquered the original values and pillars Of the Federalist Society and what it was created to do, which was to be kind of this high-minded academic counterweight to mainstream kind of liberal think in academia, and you have folks who've really remained true to that, like Stephen Calabresi, who, by the way, while Leonard Leo is taking in tens of millions of dollars into his nonprofits on the side, isn't even paid by the Federalist Society. You know, it's supposed to be a debating society. They organize conferences. So you have like two Federalist societies now. And that's because of Leonard Leo's influence on this. And frankly, the fact that he now brings so much money into the Federalist Society. And in turn, they give him money, right? They spend on his nonprofit. So I know based on my reporting that there are people within the Federalist Society who've invested their blood, sweat, tears, and reputation, a lifetime of career into this, who are upset about this, but they're silenced. And what Leonard Leo's done is different from the rest of kind of the dark money empire that has built up also in the Democratic Party, also, you know, around every issue you can think of. The difference here is that this one person has spent tens of millions of dollars through his nonprofits to influence the selection of judges who will be favorable to his agenda to then file briefs. On those issues, get those issues taken up before the court. And these are his objectives. It hasn't worked in every single case, but it has worked in many cases. Most recently, with Dobbs, the Dobbs decision, I think being kind of the watershed change that had actually a lot of people in my industry realize hey, we need to start covering the special interests behind the court the same way that we cover the special interests in every other branch of government here because there's an influence campaign taking place here that we haven't really appreciated. So Leonard
0: Leo is, again, this little guy, this squirrely, like you wouldn't pick him out of a lineup, right? At one point, not too long ago, not too many years ago, he received a $1.6 billion with a B dollar contribution to his efforts, right? The kind of thing that the rest of us couldn't even imagine, right? Whole presidential campaigns will run for two years to try and raise $2 billion. This guy gets it in one wire transfer. But now you bring in, to bring Leo and the court directly together, someone like a Jenny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, where he has you know made sure she got paid in your reporting. You know At one point, he used Kellyanne Conway, of all people, as a cutout for these payments. And she has long been a conservative activist, but now that really ramped up in the wake of the 2020 campaign where she's emailing people. She's on board, I should say, with trying to overturn the results of 2020. We see, you know, Harlan Crowe comes up again, right? I think it was that ProPublica's reporting where it's Harlan Crowe, Leonard Leo, Clarence Thomas at some, you know, beautiful place in the Adirondacks or something. And so now, like, Heidi, I got to be honest with you, you tell me, but like, I don't think that just because. Clarence Thomas is a Supreme Court justice and Jenny Thomas is a conservative activist that, like, they go to bed and they don't talk shop. I just don't buy it.
1: Well, what my reporting showed as well to that point is the planning to take advantage of Citizens United began between Harlan Crow, Jenny Thomas and Leonard Leo weeks before the ruling even came down to your point of I don't think they don't talk about things. Now, to be fair. The fact that the court had asked to re-argue this and this really unusual move that they pulled on how this was reopened did have a lot of individuals, including McCain, Senator John McCain, Feingold, really nervous that this was the direction that they were going. That said, it was shocking to me in the course of reporting this just how significant the timeline was on this of the paperwork being filed a few weeks after closing arguments for her to create her own nonprofit dark money group with Leonard Leo as a director on the board and then Harlan Crow putting up the seed money so there's a lot of issues around this I won't delve too crazy into like nonprofit tax law or anything like that but the biggest the most obvious one being how did Clarence Thomas sit on that case knowing presumably that his wife was filing and signing possibly celebratory I don't know paperwork on New Year's Eve to create her own nonprofit that was supposed to target President Obama's agenda. Of course, that blew up. And the second revelation of my story is that when it did blow up, that was not the end of it. And we haven't known about this until now, that they moved on to a plan B, which included, as you called, these cutout payments through Kellyanne Conway and another nonprofit group, and that they would not answer me over the course of weeks about whether these payments to Ginny Thomas through his network of groups ever stopped over the past decade.
2: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.
0: Here's one thing, as we know, is that whatever amount of money you can have, Washington will either spend on, you know, government programs and politically they will spend whatever it is they can raise, right? That's, again, this is unfortunately the nature of our beast. But, you know, you mentioned that, you know, Democrats utilize a lot of dark money too, right? 501c4s, 501c3s. But, you know, it seems that the likes of Leo, the Leadership Institute, you know, your reporting goes back to 82 with the Federalist Society. You can go back to the 64 Goldwater Convention in San Francisco for things like the conservative youth movement. I mean, I grew up, literally grew up in Republican politics, Heidi. I worked on, you know, three, four presidential campaigns, everything else. This was almost opaque to the average, like, Republican campaign guy or gal, right? If you were on a campaign, like you saw that one guy, as I've noted in the meeting, and you're like, who is that guy? Like he's the guy with the crazy eyes. Like he was the guy that was in touch with all of these people and you relied on them for work, but nobody ever really knew what it was. And that guy gave everybody the creeps. But, you know, you see like the conservative partnership institute that Mark Meadows runs for now until maybe he becomes a, a, either a state and or federal inmate. You know, they just bought a building on Capitol Hill. They bought like an estate out in St. Michael's, Maryland on the eastern shore. Their amount of money, you know, whether or not it's the Mercers or the U lines just seems like so much of it we don't see, but it doesn't ever seem like they ever turn the spigot off. And in fact, it seems like if they need more money, they turn the spigot up.
1: That was great reporting. I think it was a grid. I don't remember which one, but about this campus that was being erected around Capitol Hill to essentially influence lawmakers, and also actually help staff congressional offices. And these individuals who are behind it are, you know, folks like Cleta Mitchell and Mark Meadows. It's, you know, kind of, as they referred to it in the article, a MAGA infrastructure. Now, some of that may be in doubt now with, like you mentioned, the status of Meadows. I think after some reporting I did about Cleta Mitchell's association with them and what she did around the campaign in 2020, she kind of spun off her elections integrity unit. But yeah, it's got a lot of money washing around there that is really hard to trace. And to your point about Leonard Leo's $1.6 billion from a single donor, going forward, I think it's going to be really hard for the American people to even comprehend how many places this money is showing up in from driving the culture wars in red states, filling school boards, removing books, pushing critical race theory, um, state courts, you know, supporting attorneys general that will be favorable to their agenda, that will help create kind of that pipeline to the court to bring the cases that they want to bring to the court. And look, we are more than handicapped as The media as the free press to cover this, because in addition to this just really complex architecture that they can kind of build to wash the money through a number of groups, we're working off information that's a year, two years old in some cases.
0: Right, because of the way the IRS takes in the information.
1: That's right, because they're called 990 forms. They don't have to be filed for a year. And so we're able to tell you what happened a year after it happened.
0: And Heidi, I'll just tell you this before I get to this next thing. And I know you've got to run in a minute because you're hot on the trail. Is I went and had coffee with, with a donor of ours, a very wealthy individual. And I was describing this web of things. And they said, could you build something to match it? And I said, I could take all your money. And in the next year, I couldn't keep up. This person has a lot of money. But that's how far ahead they are, how far ahead they push. But Just real quick, just to give our audience, Heidi, a sense of this. So this Project 2025 from the Heritage Foundation, it's this really wacky way that they want to reorder the federal government should Trump win in 2025, assuming he's the nominee, which I think we will. It's got an advisory board of, quote, a broad coalition of over 70 conservative organizations that's come together. Groups like American Accountability Foundation, the Alabama Policy Institute, the American Council for Trustees and Alumni. American Juris Link, right? These are just the A's in the, you know, the Defense of Freedom Institute, First Liberty, Forge Leadership. It's like they literally just got out the thesaurus, Heidi, and said, okay, what are we going to do now? We need something in Missouri. Okay, we'll start
1: something in Missouri. You're speaking to my point here about how this money's just quickly multiplying and fanning out. You trace it, a lot of it comes back to the same donors. Like when you look at these 990 forms, you know, This is literally this is all they have to tell us. Donor one, donor two, and a lot of times we don't get past five.
0: Okay, before we let you go, what else? We're recording this Wednesday. Everybody's going to hear it Thursday morning. What else are you working on that we need to keep our eye eye out for?
1: I will definitely have follow ups to my reporting on the connections between Leonard Leo and his influence over the court. I'm not going to give up the game, but I will say, stay tuned. That this is a space that I think right now really is very important in the broader context of protecting democracy, as I think we're all interested in doing in this country, given that a lot of the agenda being pushed to the courts are goals of a small group of activists that has been unable to do this through the legislative process or the electoral process. And therefore, I personally believe that this is a really important space to continue to produce in. But I consider my new beat to be democracy writ large. And so that's not ruling out any, you know, deep dives in the new year as well around 2024.
0: Well, listen, thank God you're on that beat. We need more like you. Heidi Prisbella, where can we find you online? Where can we find your reporting?
1: Well, it's not Heidi Prisbella because I bet you many people can't (laughs) spell that. It's Heidi Reports on Twitter as well as Threads. And uh, you might have to try and figure out how to spell my name if you want to find me on Facebook. But good luck with that.
0: All right. And always, we can now find you reporting at Politico. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Heidi, thanks for giving me a few minutes today. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.